When it comes to talent, many banks want to make the great leap forward into a new age of best practices to guide employees. But when it comes to taking radical steps in a regulated industry, there's understandable hesitation. Still, that can't be an excuse for not casting off old practices, worn out jargon, and procedures that accomplish nothing. So who can financial services organizations look to as a trailblazer? Today, we'll talk with Patty McCord, the former chief talent officer at Netflix. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. Come on in. Thanks again for tuning into the podcast. It's terrific to have you here with us. And today on the program, we have a guest who I have wanted to have on the podcast ever since I heard her deliver a keynote speech at BAI Beacon in October. Patty McCord. Patty served as the chief talent officer of Netflix for 14 years and helped create the legendary Netflix Culture Deck, which has been viewed more than 15 million times. She currently coaches and advises a small group of companies and entrepreneurs on culture and leadership. Patty, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. You have a wonderful book out called Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility. But um, I think a better title might have been Empowered. <laughs> you know, I hate I hate business jargon, and that's exactly the point of calling it powerful. Yeah. I don't think anybody gets to empower anybody else. None of us has that elusive magic wand. Yeah, the word empowered. I remember hearing you speak at BAI Beacon talking about why that word has to go and why powerful is such an important concept to replace empowered. Help us get under the hood a little bit and Talk about why that's a central thesis, a real ground zero for what you're writing about here. It's because I think everybody wants the same thing out of work, really, no matter what it is that we do. We want to come home and feel like we've worked with a bunch of great people and we've accomplished something we couldn't do on our own. And it's something that we're proud of. And I've found that over the years of layer after layer of process and procedure and even management speak, we've sort of stripped away the power from people that they carry when they walk in the door every morning. So, you know, you walk in ready to accomplish something and then you have to ask permission and then you have to get approval and then you have to follow the guidelines and then you have to run it up the flagpole or whatever you talk about it in terms of your management hierarchy and structure. And I think those little things and some big things just sort of chip away at our own personal power. And I want to give it back. What do you think banks could be doing better right now going from empowered to powerful and really making the most of their talent? Particularly for banks, I think it's the real examination of what is regulatory, what is process and efficiency, and what is absolutely necessary and or unnecessary. Because particularly when I talk to banks, because of the regulatory nature of the business, they assume that it all has to be that way, right? That everything is in direct response to a law or a statute or a regulation. And the truth is some of it is just myth and some of it is just habit and some of it is doing what everybody else does and calling it best practices. 
So you may need to have regulation around tracking of expenses, for example, but you may not have to have nine levels of approval to do it. So I think that there's an overstructuring that's resulted in kind of this calcification in the organization and people just can't move very fast. And speaking of calcification, there is one thing that when you talk about copying and habit that is pervasive, the performance review. Ah, Something that we could talk a lot about offline, but let's talk about why you find performance reviews problematic and what needs to be put in their place that is a lot more effective. What I want to do with every one of these things that sort of make me crazy, but let's do performance reviews since it's my favorite evil, is first you step back and say, what's the purpose of this exercise that involves literally everyone in my company? right? So it's a process that's usually very involved, really structured. Everybody has to participate in it. And some companies go from to feedback mechanism. So let's say that, let's say we hypothesize you and I, that if I gave you feedback on your performance, you would be a better performer. That's Mm -hmm. what we're attempting to do, right? Yep. And we were brainstorming it, right? We're in a room with a bunch of people and we got a whiteboard and that's my hypothesis. And we're like, all right, go. What are a couple of great ideas to do that? And I said, I know once a year, (laughs) let's write down everything that you did last year and use language that's really obtuse to tell you good and or bad (laughs) things about what you did last year in order for you to perform better next year. Okay. And Mm -hmm. that's my idea. You'd look around the room if you were leading the meeting and go, okay, there's Patty's idea. Anybody else? (laughs) Because (laughs) where is the idea? (laughs) Because it's just a silly idea. And, and then people say to me, you know, you're so good at giving feedback. I'm terrible at it. And I say, really? Well, that's because you only do it once a year. Name one other thing you do once a year that you're good at. That'd be zero. So if it's about giving feedback, then it's a terrible mechanism. And what I've learned since I've left Netflix is I've learned a lot from professional sports coaches. I was just about to ask you about Scotty Bowman and your experience in the hockey ring. You became a hockey superstar for about, what, an hour? Okay, so the story is it was in February in Montreal at the Bell Center. You know, I'm a Californian, so I don't know anything about Montreal in February. And I don't realize that it's going to be 17 below zero in a blizzard. So at the last minute, I realized maybe I better get a hotel where I can go underground to this event venue. And as I get there, I meet Scotty Bowman, who's also going to be on the stage with me. And he's one of the winningest coaches in the National Hockey League, right? I mean, he's just worked with all the incredible players in the world. And, you know, I'm not that much of a hockey fan, and I'm sitting with him down below before we're about to go on stage. And he points his finger to the ceiling and he says, you know what, Patty, we're under the ice. And I suddenly realized, oh, my God, We're in a hockey stadium. (laughs) How big is a hockey stadium? You know, at this point, like the largest audience I've ever talked in front of is maybe 300 people. So I walk up onto the stage. I mean, there's spotlights on me and my face is on the jumbotron. I mean, scary, right? So I try to be cool and I go sit on my seat. Scott Bowman walks out on stage and the crowd goes 
crazy. I mean, he's this hockey god, and they're taking selfies, and they're clapping with both hands over their heads. And I realized, you know, who I'm talking to. And the moderator says, Mr. Bowman, you know, you've coached all the greats. You've won more games than any other coach in the sport. You know, what's your secret? How do you give your players feedback? And he said, well, we play an 80 game season and every 10 games I sit down with each player and I run all the statistics on how they've done in the last 10 games. They do a self-evaluation. I do an evaluation. We ask the other coaches and the other players, we make a list of what teams we're going to be playing against in the next 10 games, what their strengths and weaknesses are, how we could do better as a team, what we've been working on and what we're going to do to improve. And we have kind of a great session where we give each other feedback on how to make the team better. And so the moderator looks at me and says, Patty McCord, you hate the annual performance review. And I make the same noise I just made with you. And he said, what would you do instead? And I looked at Scotty and I said, what he said, because it made so much sense. Indeed. Yeah. Right. Regular, actual, almost in the moment feedback that's about not just the individual's performance, but the individual's performance is part of the team. What I find fascinating, and I know a lot of people have found fascinating on the book tour, is this idea of radical honesty. And you've had a lot of people come up after you've talked, and they're very curious about this concept. Tell us about how radical honesty works and why you consider it to be such a valuable concept. Yeah, and it's directly connected to what we were just talking about, which is feedback. And the modern world has started to equate a bunch of phrases that hook together that I don't think always make sense. So, for example, most people think that radical honesty means giving people feedback. And giving people feedback has come to equate with constructive criticism, which means telling somebody something that might hurt their feelings, and you want to do it in a nice way that won't hurt their feelings. And so before I get into how to do that, you know, one of the misconceptions about constructive criticism is that it's really a terribly ineffective feedback tool. Because if I say that bad thing that you just did, I've been talking to you about doing that bad thing, so don't do that bad thing anymore. And the next time you do that bad thing, which you will, you'll feel bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you won't necessarily stop doing it, right? And it's just really inefficient. But if I catch you in a meeting, standing up, talking about an idea that you've had and a solution that you propose, and I say, that's exactly what I'm talking about, that right there. That feedback is also radical honesty. That is also constructive feedback. And the positive feedback, you'll go do that again this afternoon because it felt good. So one of the things that people don't take away from the idea of radical honesty is that it can be positive too. And the other part is that the problem with how people handle what they believe to be constructive feedback or messages that they perceive to be hurtful is that they couch it in words that make it not real, right? So if I can say to you in a meeting, you know, we've talked about this, you've bent my ear about this decision we're about to make for the last couple of months, and here we are at the end of an hour-long meeting having made the decision, and you didn't say anything. Did we change your mind or do you still have something to say? And next time, could you say it at the beginning of the meeting so we don't have to waste an hour without hearing your input? 
why I'm saying that to you in front of other people is so that we'll be a better team and have more efficient meetings. You're not going to break down and weep. You know, I said it really respectfully. And I think that what makes people crazy about receiving feedback is when it's so couched in words that it's not honest. And then they feel spun. Then people are like, what are you saying to me? You know, the ones where the manager would come in to me and say, you know, I told him next time he does that, that's it. He's out of here. And I say, just hold on a second. Let me go see how things are going. And I go talk to you and you are like, yeah, I don't know. It's something about interdepartmental communication issues that I apparently have. I don't know what they are. (laughs) But he keeps bringing it. And when he has this conversation with me about these interdepartmental communication issues, which I apparently have, then I feel really bad and I avoid him. Ah. (laughs) Right? And so that's not feedback. That's like you have a problem. It's your problem. You should fix it. Exactly. That's why people worry about it, right? They worry about giving it and they worry about receiving it because people aren't really clear about it. By radical honesty, I can say, hey, by the way, you know, the business is going in a radically different direction next year. We're going to do things different than we've done it before. And to be honest with you, if I was building this team, I'm not sure I would hire you. But I mean, we wouldn't even be building this new team if it weren't for you having been here. So let's be really honest about what your future looks like and where you're going to be successful. And while you might not like hearing that again, you'll like it a whole lot better than waiting six months and being surprised. You give a master class on this stuff where you walk your talk, you are free of jargon, you are direct, you are refreshing. Patty, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Patty McCord served as the chief talent officer of Netflix for 14 years. She currently coaches and advises companies and entrepreneurs on culture and leadership. You can look for Patty on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, it's time for banks to take a hard look at regulation versus process efficiency. To be sure, banks must pay attention to what the law dictates, but not at the expense of embracing myth, habit, and copying what other companies do. For example, do you have nine levels of approval before an expense report is okay? If so, that's one sign that more work needs to be done. Number two, as you prepare to explore positive change in your workplace, ask yourself, what is the purpose of any given exercise in my company? Some exercises provide clarification of roles and goals, but others reflect obfuscation. One lesson that comes by way of Netflix and elite hockey coach Scotty Bowman is to constantly evaluate and fine-tune performance in short intervals, as opposed to making it a -a once-a-year exercise. And number three, consider adopting the practice of radical honesty. This is neither soft-pedaled constructive criticism nor bare-fisted ultimatum. Rather, it's getting rid of spin in lieu of honest praise, direct course correction, and poignant questioning when results don't manifest. Employees deserve to give and receive radical honesty to do their very best, experience clear communication, and be stars on a winning team. Developing effective talent management strategies is the key to a successful organization, but do you know whether your acquisition, retention, and development metrics are in line with your industry peers? 
Find out with BAI Talent Management Benchmarking. For more information, visit BAI.org research. And don't forget, we are now accepting your nominations for the 2018 BAI Global Innovation Awards. Nominate a company that you've seen do outstanding work in financial services. And yes, you can nominate your own company as an innovator. Deadline for nominations is April 13th. Visit BAI.org slash global innovations to find out more. And now BAI Banking Strategies brings you the AHA Moment where our podcast guest shines a light on that point in time where realization, revelation, or exploration made all the difference in their financial services career. In business, sometimes even the teacher can have a teachable moment. Listen here as Patty McCord describes how her initial ambition to become a teacher had been deferred by a business career, or so she thought. Patty was able to manifest that dream through guiding, teaching, and mentoring those around her in the business world. I was going to be a bilingual teacher. I had worked in elementary schools. I had been a teacher's aide. It was my lifelong calling. I got offered a job working in antitrust litigation the year I was student teaching. I gave it up and sold my soul because the starting salary was the same as if I had been a 15-year tenured teacher. And the whole time I felt bad about it. You know, it was sort of my secret guilt that I wasn't a teacher. And I was at an offsite with a group of executive men, which were always who I was in offsites with one time. And we were doing this reflective moment, you know, what would you tell your 20 year old self? And I was probably in my mid forties at the time. And I started writing this thing about how I always wanted to be a teacher. And, you know, I gave it up to make my career in business And I sat up and I looked around and I thought, wait a minute, I am. They're just taller and male. (laughs) You know, I actually ended up fulfilling every dream I ever had. And all I've ever been doing really is teaching. And so that was an aha moment for me that I didn't have to have that very specific goal to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Thanks for tuning into our podcast, and here are a few reminders from yours truly and your friends at BAI. First of all, if you haven't done so, subscribe to our daily newsletter. It's free to sign up, and be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter to stay up to date on BAI's latest and greatest. You can catch me on LinkedIn. Be sure to connect. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.